Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Coach Mac, I guess I got to call you that today. to come uh, help me move this table real quick. Would you guys just grab on the side and put it over there for me? Uh, The table. Appreciate it. Put your hands together for them right there. Show off those muscles, Jaden. Show off those muscles right there. Look at that bicep. I haven't been uh, this nervous for a sermon in a long time. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, Jed? I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, so a couple, a couple of things uh, before, before we get rolling. Um, first of all, on behalf of the R.B. Hudson football team, we would like to thank you for, for having us here today. And we would like to thank you for serving food to us and for welcoming us and loving on us, Blue Jeans. So we just want, guys, can we just give them a round of applause? And then in my weird role where I'm also a coach and an elder at the church, I also, on behalf of Blue Jean, want to thank you guys for being here. Yeah. For some of y'all, it's your first time, and, uh, and, and we want you to know that you are, what's up, Quan? And uh, we want you to know that you are always welcome here. Um, but I also felt like there was an important word for our church. I, I didn't know about it yesterday. Um, Ray, would you would you come up here? Come on, dog. Put your hands together for Ray right here. What's up, fam? You want to say something to the mic? Nah. Okay, okay. All right, come here. Um, I found out yesterday I was driving um I was driving Ray home after practice and uh, and he was I was like you know hey we're we're going to Blue Jean Church tomorrow and he said well I've been there before. And y'all, I, he told me that, that about five years ago, when, when this church first opened, uh, when, when Blue Jean first moved here to this church building, that Ray was one of the kids, he was about seven or eight, who came with y'all when I wasn't here. And first of all, I just want you to know that when he told me that, that he had a huge smile on his face. And so you don't know the seeds that you sowed five years ago during that time because now I'm standing next to a, I'm standing next to a 13 year old okay that is has become and, and this is Ray where, where where I felt like when I was here last night I was praying uh, for today's service and praying for you guys and when I was praying for you guys I felt like I got nailed by a word that God spoke to me about you which is when I was here, I was, I was in back kind of praying back where I, Kate, would you put your hand up? Back by Kate. I was back there praying last night. And, and while I was praying, I felt like the father showed me the last time that you were here at this church five years ago. And then he showed me you here today. 
And Ray, I felt like the father wanted me to just tell you that he is so proud of the young man that you've become. you were talking to me. It's okay though. I'll pray afterwards. Uh, where's Josh? Can we do inner healing? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Good deal. Um, so, uh, <laughs> all right. Hey, we're allowed to have a little bit of fun today. Is that okay? Um, Daryl, is that okay? All right. All right. Good deal. Well, um, we're going to start off. I felt like today, um, with, uh, with, with an activity or a little strategy I do in my classroom sometimes in the classroom, we call this before strategy a table talk. In this case, it's going to be a turn and talk. So what's going to happen is this. I'm going to pose a question to you guys. And when I ask the question, I'm going to have you turn to at least one person right in your vicinity without standing up. And I want you to discuss the question with them. If they have a different answer than you, your job is to convince them that you are right and that they are wrong. Everybody on the same page. And when I say... what. What should my code word be, boys? Okay, when I say King Kong, everybody has to stop, find me wherever I am in the church, mouths closed and eyes on me like this. Everybody on the same page? And the question I'd like, would you guys hit my first slide? Who's the greatest Avenger? Go ahead. King Kong. Robert, I was waiting on you. I was waiting on you. You're slow on that one, Robert. Okay, now I need, now I need, I heard some interesting answers. Can I have at least three people raise their hand and tell me what they said? I'm going to get one over here and then I'm going to come. I got you and I got you. Okay, let's do it. Um, Zach, tell us what you said. I mean... And why did you say Iron Man? What was your argument? Cricket, cricket. Okay, okay. Anybody? <laughs> Daryl, who did you say? I said Black Panther. And why did you say Black Panther? Uh, because, because he's Black Panther. <laughs> All right. Yeah, put your hands together for those two. Yeah. All right, what did, and what did you say? Who did you say is the greatest Avenger? Thor. Thor, and why did you, th why did you say Thor? Every that hammer, and he mean what he mean, and nobody can pick that hammer up. <laughs> Amen, put your hands together for him. And last one, who did you say is the greatest Avenger? Flash. <laughs> is Flash an Avenger? Okay, well, why is, he, why is he the greatest superhero in your mind? Um, because he's, he's really fast, and he has this the way of answering you. One minute you see him, and the next minute he's gone. He's kind of like, 
like, what in the world happened? Flash. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Now, I've got good news for you, and I've got bad news for you. The good news is that you all had some wonderful answers. The bad news is that all of you were wrong. Ha! Why? Because today, oh, because today I am going to introduce you to the greatest Avenger that has ever walked the face of the earth. I'm going to introduce you to somebody very different from who you just talked about for several reasons. First, all of the people that you just mentioned are made up. They're not real. Second, all of the ones that you just mentioned show up only in moments of crisis and aren't always with you. But today, I would like to introduce to you the greatest Avenger. The greatest Avenger is our God. Amen. Amen. Now, what in the world is this dude talking about? Well, maybe we go to the word of God. Let's go to it. Turn or hit the first one for me. This is where we started off. I've been wanting to preach this sermon for many years, and I'm so thankful and glad. Look at Psalm 94, verse 1. Oh, can I have a volunteer to read it nice and loud for us, please? Volunteer, yeah. TJ? The Lord is a God who avenges. Oh, God who avenges shine for. Awesome. Awesome. Y'all, our God has so many different characteristics and so many different names in the Bible. We have to identify when it says the Lord is something, that is a crucial aspect of his character and of his being that we have to understand him as. And just like TJ just read, the word says that the Lord is a God who avenges. A God who avenges. Hit me, with, hit me with, with one more there, please. Can I have another volunteer to read uh, from here? Yeah, you got a key, Sean? Thank you. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with rave, though. Ralph, the Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Amen. So what's the deal with this whole avenging thing? Because we see two very clear scriptures that identify God as somebody who avenges his people. And y'all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in some territory this morning. Can we be real this morning? Is that okay? All right. Let's talk about this this morning. If he is a God who avenges, and the scripture says it deliberately and directly twice, I feel like we also would need to see it in action. And so I want to show you and, and, and look at two, we could look at a thousand different examples in scripture of how God avenges his people 
when his people experience injustice or when his, when his people are mistreated. Now I want to look this morning at two Old Testament examples, and then we're going to talk about how that changed going into the New Testament. And for the old, first Old Testament example, I want to go to one of our greatest hits as a Christian. I want to take you to the Red Sea. Now the Israelites, as you, many of you know this story, the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt. And the Egyptians had been mistreating them, uh, doing things even to the extent of killing their, their sons. Now, we read in uh, Exodus, 23, two, Exodus 2 verse 23 that at that time the Israelites groaned in their slavery. What did they do? They cried out to God in a groan. And if you look up here, what you notice is that that's exactly the kind of thing that, 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 that we're reading about. The Israelites felt like they were being wronged. They felt like they were being mistreated. They felt like they were being pushed beyond what they could endure. And they groaned and they cried out to God for help. And I don't know about you, but I would think that if God was a avenger, one who avenged his people, I would think that he would respond to that, wouldn't you? Okay, well, well, let's, this is where we start getting a little bit scared. Because let's find out how he responded when they cried out and groaned because of their mistreatment. First, long story, I'm, I'm, I'm going through a little bit here because otherwise we could keep in here about seven hours. You guys want to stay for seven hours today? Yeah, all right, all right, all right. So, so the first thing is that God sent seven plagues on the Israel, on, on the Egyptians. The last of those plagues was the death of every firstborn son in Egypt. Think about what I just said. You talk about a God that is not only avenging the Israelites when they cried out for help, but doing it in a way that was significant and in a way that was maybe scary for people that were there. But then the, the, the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, lets them leave Egypt only to regret it. And he sends his army to chase after them to go bring them back. And they find the, Egypt, they find the Israelites right on the bank of the Red Sea. Moses, uh, uh, you know, lift up his staff. The Red Sea splits. The Israelites go through. And the Egyptians chase the Israelites through. This is a symbol of, a, of continuous oppression. The Egyptians are wanting to, they're, they're, they're wanting to continue to oppress God's people. And so they chase into the Red Sea. And the Red Sea, after the Israelites have passed through, closes up. And the Pharaoh and his army are killed, drowned to death in the, in the Red Sea. And we come, I forget if I put this one on, up there or not. But I want you to read, to, I, want to, I want to show you this. Turn with me real quick to Exodus chapter 14, if you have your uh, Bible with you or on your phone. Because I want to show you the extent to which when they cried out to God for help because of their mistreatment and injustice, that God responded. Again, turning with me to Exodus chapter 14. And when you're there, say amen. All right, good deal. And so I want you to read with me. This is right after 
um, the Red Sea has closed up. And I want you to read, we're going to read together in verse 30. Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 says, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Y'all, that means that, that when the Red Sea closed up and killed all of these Egyptians that were present in the Red Sea at that time, that the Israelites who were on the other side Maybe at first they were celebrating and rejoicing, but then the bodies of the Egyptians started coming up on the shore. And it says that when the bodies of the Egyptians started rolling up on the shore, it says that the Israelites feared the Lord. They were in awe of him. Can you imagine how terrifying it would be to see your you know, for the Israelites to see the people who had been oppressing them for years, their bodies literally rolling up on the shore of the Red Sea. I don't know about you, but I would think that that is an example of, a, of an avenging God. Let's look at one more Old Testament example. If you'll turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll look at one more uh, example here. Again, 2 Kings chapter 2. And here I want to show you an example of God as an avenging God that I think will show us a little something different. It's also one that is near and dear to my heart. I'll explain why in just a moment, although I imagine some of you will catch on very quickly. 2 Kings chapter 2. When you're there, say amen. All right. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. And Elisha was a, a great prophet of the Lord. That from there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him, get out of here, Baldy. They said, get out of here, Baldy. What are you laughing at, Mary? Mary, is there something you want to say? Is there something you would like to say? Let's continue the story, okay? Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. This is the NIV, okay? This isn't, okay, amen. In verse 24, Elisha turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. <laughs> Now, now listen, that story is maybe closer to some of our hearts than others. Amen, Matt? Okay? But for all of us, it shows that God is an avenging God. He cared so much 
about these boys who were making fun of Elisha for being bald. Then when Elisha cried out, he responded by sending a bear that killed 42 boys. Yo, I'm trying to show you that when the Israelites cried out for help and for justice, that God went forth and killed the Egyptians so much that literally their bodies dragged up in the Red Sea right on the shore in front of them. And I'm trying to say that when Elisha was just walking by bald and kids started making fun of him, that God sent a bear to kill 42 boys. Far be it from us to think that our God doesn't care about us and won't fight for us. But let me, okay, I was with, uh, I was with, I was at a Bible study on, on, on Zoom or on the phone maybe a couple weeks ago with my boy, Big John. What's up, Big John? Okay. And Big John, he asked me a question that was very important. He said, he said, Colin, excuse me, Coach Mac. How come that the Old Testament is all about God killing people? He said, I, I want to read the Old Testament, but every time I do, God is killing thousands of people or encouraging David to kill thousands of people. And he said, I don't know if, if I can get behind that. And I said, dude, there is a significant difference between then and now. What's the difference? The difference is the cross. Because let's, let's look at this for a second. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were the people of God. They were God's chosen people. He loved them. He cared for them. When an injustice was done against them, he responded in ways that included mauling 42 boys and ways that, that included wiping out and killing an entire army of people in the Red Sea. But see, my Bible tells me in John chapter 3 and, and all other places that God so loved. He so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to us. Is that you, Rivers? Uh, whoever that was, amen. Rivers, I thought you were starting to preach. I was going to give you the microphone. God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved the Israelites that he sent his one and only son. And then look, look at, look at verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to, to, get, to condemn the world, but to save what? Y'all, Jesus did not come here to save a select group of people. He came to save the world. Y'all, I was thinking about this and meditating about this yesterday, that I think that if we legitimately looked at it right now here in this room, or as a blue jean community, if God had sent Jesus to save the Israelites, I think Boris would have been the only one going to heaven. Is that, is it? Because Boris has Hebrew lineage. I don't, okay? My dad is an Irish mutt. What's up, Pop? And, 
and my and my my grandparents on my mom's side immigrated from Italy and Albania. I have no Hebrew, I have no Israelite genealogy in my background. If God had sent Jesus, if that verse said something different, if it said God so loved the Israelites that he sent his one and only son, I would be in trouble. Okay? I would would have been in trouble. And so in the Old Testament, God's chosen people were the Israelites. Let me tell you something. In the new covenant, God's chosen people are everybody. Because look at this. There are two types of people on this earth. Well, there's one type of person. How about we say it this way and then we'll go to the two. The one type of person on this earth is the person that Jesus died on the cross for. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. He died on the cross for every human being that you see. That's why I can't stand the, 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 the hatred stuff. When we think about leaders and we start talking about leaders as being as all the, yo, human beings are never our enemy. Never our enemy. Never our enemy. Every single person, the person who comes up to you and slaps you in the face and starts talking about your mama when you've never met them before, they are not your enemy. Your enemy is very simple and straightforward. Your enemy is the devil and his agents. And if we ever start to think that a human being is our enemy, then we are deceived. I'm starting to get a little hot. Okay, all right. Okay. I never thought I would need the air. Lord have mercy. I'm always on the opposite end of the spectrum. So guys, what I'm trying to say is that when certain select ones of us walk down the street and somebody says, what's up, Baldy? God's justice for us is not sending a bear to kill that person. Okay? As much as maybe sometimes we would feel like that at the beginning, okay? That was the Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant. Because now what would happen is that God loves that person. The only, type of, the only type of person on earth is somebody that Jesus died to save. And let me tell you a secret. The Bible says that God doesn't want a single person to perish. And the only thing, the only difference between somebody who is, per- who is going to perish or is perishing and somebody who is saved and being saved, the only difference is faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to do with the way that we lived our lives. Guys, I was thinking about this last night, that when I first came to Selma, you remember those days? That was a long time ago, praise God, okay? When I first came to Selma to teach at R.B. Hudson, that was what initially brought me here, I was 22 years old. And at that time, I had not given my life to Christ yet. I thought that it was very simple, that in order to get to heaven, you had to be a good person. And that if you were a good person you were going to heaven. Has anybody else ever believed that before? It is exhausting. Every day I woke up and I said, I want to be a good person so I don't go to hell. And then I would go and I would do something mean to somebody and I'd say, well, I guess I'm going to hell. 
Every day it happened, the same thing. I'd walk in the door at Arby Hudson, some kid would make fun of me, I'd yell at them, up oh, going to hell. Every day was the same thing. And it was exhausting, guys. It was exhausting. But see, that is not the thing that gets somebody into heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ is what does it. That's the only thing. And so when you see somebody who's mistreating you, guys, that's somebody that Jesus died on the cross for. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this age, i.e. Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they won't be able to see the glory of Christ and the glory of the gospel. That means that if you meet somebody who has not given their life to Christ, that is because they are being blinded by the enemy from seeing who Christ really is and from seeing what the Bible really says and the gospel really is. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. How about we look at a, let's look at what the New Testament says about God's, God's vengeance or God being an avenger. I want you to turn, before we look at our, our primary example, and guys, I mean, this is a convicting, I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit was convicting me in my heart. Guys, would you put Matthew 5.22 up for me? Uh, I'm going to put it up in, in the Passion Translation um, because I felt like it captured the sentiment the best. And it says, but I'm telling you, these are the words of Jesus on the, on the, on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart toward a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. And whoever demeans or in, and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. Whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to the fire of hell. Because that means that whenever we have anger in our heart toward any other human being, that we are being subject to judgment. And so I'm going to ask you the question that God asked me. Do we have anger in our hearts towards any human being? If so, for our sake, we need to address that. If there is anybody that we have anger towards in our hearts. And you'll notice that this talks specifically about fellow believers. Now, we've talked about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for all people. But this is a specific word for fellow believers, that if we have anger in our hearts towards any fellow believers, that we need to address it, and we need to go through forgiveness, and we need to go through that process. Now, we talked about two examples in the Old Testament. First, about the Israelites at the Red Sea and the Egyptians. Then second, we talked about Elisha and the, and the boys and the bear. In the New Testament, there was nobody who experienced more injustice and more mistreatment than Jesus. But Jesus responded very differently than Elisha did, and the, and, and the reaction or the, of God was very different. Let's look at it, let's look at it together, at his response. 
Specifically, I want to look at, at, and Matt, I mean, you could have preached this directly into my sermon, what you were talking about today in communion, directly into my sermon, the way Jesus responded to who he knew was about to betray him or one of the ones who was about to betray him. And also, if you want to read along with me, you can go to uh, Matthew chapter 26. I want us to, to look at how Jesus responded in the Garden of Gethsemane, because remember, our goal as Christians, remember, uh, what, was it, uh, what, was it, what was the name of that guy who preached at Christ the King last, uh, last spring? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. He had this great thing where he kept on talking about how Christian meant uh, to be, Christian meant uh, being little Christ-like ones. The, goal, the whole goal of Christianity is to represent Christ, to be like Christ. And so as much as we read about the Old Testament prophets, our goal is not to uh, necessarily follow the model of Elisha, but to follow the model and represent Jesus himself above any other. And so let's look at the example of Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, while they're in the garden, those that, those that uh, were, were coming to arrest Jesus show up. And when they do, it's clear that they are there for, to afflict Jesus, to torment Jesus, to mistreat him, to do an act of injustice against Jesus. And Jesus comments on that by pointing out, you know, am I leading a rebellion that you've come like this? And then our boy Peter takes out his sword, and anybody remember what he does with it? He hacks the ear off of somebody, okay? I don't, I'm not going to do a demonstration, Shell, don't worry, okay? He cuts the ear off of the person who comes in, 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 into, the, into the garden. Jesus did not respond by telling them, hey, now go do it to everybody else. Instead, he spoke very clearly. He said, in verse 52 of Matthew 26, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. In other words, he's telling Peter, even though you can inflict physical punishment and harm on my human enemies, don't do it. Then in verse 53, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? If Jesus had wanted all of the people who came to arrest him to die, it could have been done. But instead, Jesus put his hand on the guy whose ear had just been cut off and healed the guy's ear. Do you see the radical difference between the two examples we looked at in the Old Testament and the one we're looking at in the New Testament? But I'd like to tell you that you might be wondering, how does this show that God is an avenger? How does this show that God is an avenging God, one who avenges us, if that's how Jesus responded? Jesus understood something that we tend to forget, that those people who were standing in front of him were not his enemy. His enemy was the devil and not any human beings. And so that's why God is an avenger. 
There is no greater moment of vengeance and vindication than the cross. Now, you ever, I was thinking about this. Josh, you'll appreciate this. I was thinking specifically this is, this is one for you. You guys ever watch movies and there's always like the moment when it looks like the bad guys are winning or they think they're winning? And then there's the moment when like, you know, the other part of the good guy army comes around and flanks them or comes around their rear. And it always zooms in on the one guy who's like this. That was the devil. He was, he was popping his champagne bottles, celebrating, being, hey, I've been looking to kill this guy. I finally did. And he didn't realize that that was the moment of triumph for you and for me. Just last night, I was experiencing some spiritual affliction. And I was able to stand and say, I don't care what the enemy wants to do, because on the cross, you disarmed him and took away all his power. Guys, and you know what happened after that? I went to sleep. And I woke up when my alarm went off this morning after a delightful evening of rest. Yo, I'm here to tell you that we can pray that prayer in authority and with authority because what Jesus did on the cross for you and what he did on the cross for me. He's given us that level of authority. But see, the cross was the biggest breakthrough in the spiritual realm that we could ever imagine. And guys, we need to have a longer sermon to learn about how Jesus literally descended, shook up everything in the way that the process happened after people die, and then came back and then ascended. In order to understand the spiritual dynamics and dimensions of what happened through the cross, we could talk about that for years. For, your, for our sake today, I want you to know that it was the greatest moment of vindication and vengeance that you could ever imagine. That everything we had lost in the Garden of Eden, we regained by the cross. You know, would you put uh, Romans 12, 9, 19 up there for me? I want to read it first in the NIV. I think it fits where we are today. It says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And I felt like this was one for the KJV. Would you flip to the KJV for me? Jed, can you read it for me? Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. See, Paul understood the example that Jesus had set for us. It is not our job to avenge ourselves. If you feel or we feel like somebody has done something wrong to us, we are not responsible for fighting back in the ways that we would traditionally think. God will fight for us. God will avenge us in the spiritual realm with our actual enemy. Would there be any greater vindication than for somebody who is the devil is using to come torment you, for you to set the example Jesus set to love on them and to bless them instead of cursing them, and for them to then see the gospel for the first time and give their life to Christ? That would be the greatest vengeance and vindication. And y'all, I was thinking about 
this this is where uh, where's Tank? What's up, dog? I was asking God to give me an illustration for this sermon, and He gave it to me through Tank. Tank, put your hand up. Can you stand up and, and, and wave to the wave to the audience? Put your hands together for Tank. By the way, could you imagine a a a better nickname for somebody who plays football than Tank? All right. I was in my classroom last week, and I have a tradition in my classroom that on game days, I buy more snacks than you could possibly think middle school boys and girls could consume. And I also go buy tons of water. Lester, you remember. You remember. And so what I, what I do is I buy these snacks, and then during our activity throughout the day, in order for the kids to have nutrition that night and to be hydrated, we go around and I give each of them to open the little bag up and it's like Halloween, well, I'm not advocating Halloween, okay? Amen. But it's like the little trick-or-treat thing, okay? Where you open up the bag, they get to grab the snack that they want, they get to drink their water and all the other students get furious about it because they know that they're getting special treatment. Don't tell them I said that, okay? All right. Oh, Destiny, I forgot you. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay. And so what happens is that I go around and I give out these snacks. Well, Two weeks ago, it just so happened that there were a couple of students absent in my second period. And so when that happened, two of my groups got put together. And so it ended up that Tank ended up in a group with two other football players and another young man who was not on the football team. I didn't really think about the optics, but when I went around to go give out snacks to the football uh, players and the cheerleaders, it ended up that everyone in that group got a snack and a water except for this one boy. Now, you might think, okay, Coach Mack, I'm glad you're so gracious and kind. I know that you gave a snack to that extra. I did not give an extra snack, okay? Maybe I should have. Bob, you can correct me later. Okay, I'm open to rebuke. Okay. And, um, and all three of the football players in that group select, made the same selection, which was a package of Ritz peanut butter crackers. Always a good choice, Tank. And Tank and another guy on the football team named Walter both ate all of their crackers. But the third boy named Christian, or Sugar, excuse me, Sugar did not eat his peanut butter crackers. He only ate half of his peanut butter crackers. And then he put them on the middle of the table and said, guys, I'm tapping out. Anybody want more crackers? Now, what would have been just? would have been for the boy who did not get any crackers to get the crackers. Am I right? But instead, Walter and Tank ate the remaining crackers. <laughs> okay? And they did it with just a little bit of taunting, okay? Just a little bit of taunting. And the other boy was sitting there, and, and he was kind of looking around, and he was like, he was like, well, but I didn't get any crackers. And then when they were done, somebody put the wrapper. I don't know if you guys gave him the wrapper. I don't know what happened. I think they gave him the wrapper. And he looked at the wrapper, and he realized that they had been peanut butter crackers. And he said, they were peanut butter too. <laughs> and somehow I overheard this entire conversation and, and got to, it was like I was sitting there watching it on a movie. And y'all, my heart burned with compassion 
for this young man who did not get the peanut butter crackers. So you can empathize, I'm sure, Lester. And, and my reaction was I had more peanut butter crackers, but I said, you know what? I am so moved with compassion for this young man that I'm going to move and give him something special. And I walked over. Cam, you know what's about to happen. I walked over to my own lunch. I opened the cover of my own lunch and I ripped off a piece of my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I walked over to this young man and I said, my son, this is for you. And all three of the football players in that group started complaining immediately and fussing because they, were, they realized that he had gotten a better snack than they had. Now, y'all, I'm trying to tell you that that is how God's vengeance works. God looks down on us, and when we think we have been mistreated, when we think that we have been experiencing injustice, that God sees us and his heart burns with compassion for us. And there is nothing that he won't do to stop us from experiencing his blessing. I could have punished the two boys that took the extra crackers. Am I right, Tank? But that was not my reaction. The same way that God's reaction towards us is not always to punish the other human being that maybe was used or played a role in our torment. Instead, God achieves for us things that we are far greater for us than that. He'll pour out blessing on us like never before. And he'll achieve in the spiritual realm for us the most important victories and the most important wins. And so if you'd stand on your feet with me. Y'all, I, I want you to turn to somebody next to you, turn to a neighbor, and say, God is my avenger, and high-five them right now. And now I want you to turn to your other neighbor and say with a little bit of sauce, God is my avenger. There you go. Y'all, I feel, I feel like on a, on, a, on, a, on a real note, on a real note, I feel like some of us came in this place this morning feeling like we have been experiencing injustice at the hands of somebody else. Somebody's been coming in here feeling like they needed to, they've had a, 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 something in their heart that's been telling them that it's their job to fight back. 
Y'all, you have come into this place this morning for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to say that God sees your situation. And God cares for you and he loves you. And he will fight your battles for you and he will fight for vengeance for you. Now, now see, Jesus... When he went on the cross, guys, he died for you and he died for me. And there is nothing, not one of us in this place, that Jesus didn't go on the cross for. That is a, a, a lottery ticket that all we have to do is cash it in. And we cash it in with faith in the cross and faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you do this with me, if you please bow your heads. Father, we thank you for bringing us into this place this morning. And we know that you're present right here in our midst. Father, I thank you that you know each and every person under the sound of my voice. You know their situation. You know what they're going through. Father, thank you that you look upon them with, with a heart that burns with compassion. Your word literally says that you are the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. We acknowledge you as that this morning. And Father, I thank you that you know what we need so much better than we do. Guys, if there's anybody in this place who has been experiencing, who knows that you have to release something this morning, come to this altar right now. If you have been walking away from God, if you've been on a walk where he's been chasing you and you've seemed like you've been running away from him, the altar is open right now. If you have in your heart been experiencing or been tempted to experience anger towards anybody else, this is a moment of release for you. Because Jesus, we even lift up to you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up to you all those who have, we feel like maybe have done anything wrong to us. We cancel in the name of Jesus Christ any charges against them in the heavenly courts. We release them and we free them right now. Lord, I pray for, for your Holy Spirit to wash over this place right now in the name of Jesus. And to just swoosh even right now to cleanse hearts cleanse our minds.
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.